I will be uh, turning to a couple of places in the Word of the Lord. I'll be turning to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 23, as well as the book of Esther and uh, chapter number 4. I was a little unsure whether to whether whether we're to have some preaching this morning or not, but uh, as Brother Mike was talking, I felt some confirmation, and then uh, we have authority within the church in an order, and the assistant to the pastor said, we are going to have preaching of the word. That was plenty of confirmation to me. We're going to have some preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, uh, one other thing that uh, pastor meant to say and slipped his mind, but we're uh, very pleased to have a special first-time visitor in the house today. And that is uh, Savannah uh, Becker, daughter of John and Hannah. Somewhere in the back there, little tiny thing. You might, you might come at a distance sometime before. I'm trying to keep our attention on the Lord here, but at some time before service is out, at a distance you might have a look. But uh, just uh, in, in, in good common sense, let's not too many get over there and try to try to... Grab this uh, precious little one uh, just yet. Daniel, you're not the youngest one around here, son, anymore. Amen. Amen. And let's have some more to come. In Jesus' name. Maybe I was prophesying to my wife right now. Oh, my. Look for a bigger house right now. Thank you, Jesus. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles in chapter uh, number 23, and beginning with uh, verse number one. And it says, And in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself. Jehoiada was a priest. Uh, he was a priest. This was a, a, a godly man. And, in, and we see that in the preceding chapter that he witnessed the demise of of King Athaliah. King Athaliah, this was a king of Judah. Uh, so we're talking about the descendancy of the throne of David uh, in this situation. And uh, Jehoiada witnessed the death of Athaliah. Athaliah's mother uh, was, let's see here, I got to get my, my, my name correct. Excuse me, the king was Azariah, the, his mother. Azariah's mother was Athaliah. Athaliah was the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab, if you get a little idea for the lineage we're talking about here. Well, upon the death of her son, King Azariah, Athaliah took it upon herself to try to exalt herself. And she had such wickedness within her, like, like Jezebel uh, before her, and indeed her, her grandfather uh, was into some, some evil uh, things as well. She wanted the, the throne for herself. And she sought to murder and have murdered her own grandchildren, the seed, the lineage of David, so she could sit on that throne. And she thought she had, but she, she messed up. Because the wife of uh, Jehoiada, and her name was, if there's any, anyone expecting a girl and you're looking for a good Bible name, his wife was Jehoshabeth. Maybe we'll think of another name if we have a daughter, honey. But his wife, Jehoiada the priest, and his wife, they were an aunt and uncle to, to the son, the one remaining sole survivor of this lineage from Azariah, and his name was Joash. And she took in 
this little infant, and they began to raise it on their own. And so they were protecting this child, and that's the context here in beginning this. In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself. What seventh year? The seventh year of Joash. He was now seven, seven years old, or six years old, approaching uh, seven. Jehoiada strengthened himself and took the captains of hundreds, Azariah, the son of uh, Jerome, and Ishmael, the son of uh, Jehohanan, and Azariah, the son of Obed, and Maasiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri, into covenant with him. A lot of great names for children there. Verse 2, And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and the chief of the fathers of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem, and all the congregation made a covenant with the king. Little boy, Joash, seven years old. But they made a covenant with the king in the house of God, and, and this is Jehoiada speaking. Jehoiada said unto them, Behold, the king's son, again speaking of Joash, shall reign. As the Lord hath said, somebody said, the Lord hath said, of the sons of David. We have a word of the Lord. And he had confidence. He believed in this word. He had confidence in it. He embraced it, and he took uh, very careful care of this word from the Lord. Along with that, I'm going to read from uh, the book of Esther, chapter number 4. And I'll actually just begin in verse number 13. Mordecai. And I've struggled with this name, Pastor. I always want to say Mordecai. But I've heard so many preachers say Mordecai. I feel that I have to say Mordecai. That must be the correct pronunciation. Mordecai, it probably is, commanded to answer Esther. They're speaking through an intermediary. Esther's the queen by this point. Mordecai uh, was, was a relative here, but raised, her, raised Esther like that was his own daughter. And he said to her, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, a time had arisen, Mordecai recognized it, that Esther was the person God was calling that needed to act. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Esther, if you do nothing, Esther, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Esther, God's going to deliver his people whether you're a part of it or not, but he's calling you for something right now, right now at this time. How did he know that? Because he had faith in the word of God and the Abrahamic covenant. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed if you, if you do nothing. And who knoweth, he knew it when he's asking this question, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Uh, he had confidence in the Word of God that he already knew. And I struggled a little bit with the title for this uh, message, but I, but I decided to entitle it, and I'll be preaching to you for a little while this morning on the topic, What We Know in Advance. What We Know uh, in Advance. Uh, Brother Poole, would you mind to pray over the Word real quick? Lord, we thank you for your Word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Amen. Somebody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated, please. 
There was a bridge that was constructed, a truss bridge, in Minneapolis along I-35, and it ran north and south across the Mississippi. It was built in uh, 1967. This truss bridge was made of steel beams that were, that were joined together to form two large trusses uh, resting on four concrete piers. And it was built in 1967, and for 30-some years, this bridge had functioned uh, just fine, really not had any issues. However, there are inspections, as there should be, of major uh, bridges and metropolitan areas and other areas, and an inspection incurred, as they should from time to time. In 2003, in such an inspection, there were structural engineers who recognized that there were steel plates holding this bridge together and that they were bending. Uh, there were some, some warning signs, uh, you might say. That's not a good thing if you see a bridge and you see some metal that's supporting this, this bridge, and, uh, and, and it is apparently uh, deforming. And there were some of these engineers that, that looked into this bridge who wanted immediately to make some repairs and to structurally uh, bolster this bridge, uh, I-35 Minneapolis, with corrective maintenance. However, ultimately, a decision was made by people in authority that this bridge was still structurally sound. This was in 2003. A mere four years later, on August the 1st, 2007, Brother Poole, at 6.05 p.m., uh, this bridge collapsed, taking with it 111 vehicles. Uh, many people perished. There are actually some survivors today that were on this bridge in a vehicle, went down into the Mississippi River, somehow were able to get out, were rescued, and are alive to this day uh, uh, to talk about it. But why did this happen? Anytime there's an event like this or, or, or a plane crash, uh, there's going to be some people that are, that are looking into uh, the reasons that this happened. But, but, but very simply, uh, we can see that from people in positions of authority, that there was a decision made because there was little belief and there was little faith placed in the idea that these bending plates would lead to structural collapse and therefore basically nothing was done to correct this problem. In the end, these warning signs uh, were ignored. Uh, there was another bridge, the Silver Bridge, which was constructed in 1928. Uh, this was an I-bar chain suspension bridge connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio, across the Ohio River. And there, there was pinning and threading for I-bars of this particular uh, suspension bridge. And at that point in time, uh, most of that construction uh, for such bridges would use annealed mild steel, which is uh, susceptible to corrosion. However, uh, this was a known uh, practice, a known material for use of constructing bridges, and, and there were known methods uh, for constructing bridges at this time as well. But when this bridge was constructed in 1928 by the American Bridge Company, they decided to use a new material that they had found uh, very recently appeared to be stronger. And they believed that as a result of this new material that they could follow a different plan of construction, one that was different from what engineers had previously prescribed uh, for similar bridges. And we find that uh, it was, doing the math a little less than 40 years later, that on December the 15th, 1967, this bridge fell in less than one minute's time as the integrity of the construction had diminished under the weight of time and the elements. Because why? Because the known procedures for correctly constructing such a bridge had not been followed despite what they knew to be true. In light of this new material, 
In light of these new and supposedly uh, better methods, there were 46 deaths as a result of this calamity. One final bridge I would like to mention is known as the Kinzua uh, bridge. It, is, it was in Pennsylvania, and this is considered one of the great failures of engineering oversight studied in engineering programs, certainly at U of I and Missouri Rolla and other programs across our nation, uh, as well as in many undergraduate physics courses along with the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Tacoma, Washington from years ago. And there's some famous video of that bridge uh, collapsing. I remember from physics when I was in uh, that class, gosh, 20 years ago probably in college. Many referred to this bridge Brother Ritz, as the eighth wonder of the world. You and I are thinking of something else when we think of the eighth wonder of the world. But this, we're thinking of Andre the Giant. They referred to him as the eighth wonder of the world. But this Kinzua Bridge uh, was considered to be, at that time, the tallest railroad bridge in the world. It stood incredibly high, and it was to carry trains over it, and that's what it did. It was, it was actually uh, originally fabricated and constructed in the late 1800s, and at that time it was made of wrought iron. But as the years uh, progressed and the weight of locomotives became greater and greater and these, these uh, boxcars loading coal became heavier and heavier, they decided they needed to make some changes. And they actually tore down this bridge many years later and reconstructed this bridge in steel. However, a problem occurred. And that is because in an effort to save time, these engineers and people constructing this bridge, in an effort to save time, not because of what they knew to be true, but in an effort to save time, instead of using steel anchor bolts to hold this bridge in place at its footings, the legs of these bridge columns were secured to existing bolts that were known to be too short. They knew this, and not only were they too short, but these bolts also were not made of steel, but they were made of, of iron. Uh, rather than steel, which is relatively less brittle and more ductile. It, it will resist uh, uh, greater things in weather, and greater uh, physical forces, uh, wind especially, uh, in this case. They knew this as well, but in order to save time, they decided to step aside from what they knew to be true and go down uh, this other path in reconstructing this bridge, mostly out of steel. Well, in the summer of 2003... After years of corrosion and exposure to the elements, and during a day with extremely high winds, there was a huge section of this bridge that went crashing to the valley beneath. Fortunately, with this bridge, there were no trains uh, that were on this at the time, but this is uh, considered uh, to this day uh, just an epic failure of engineering oversight. And in the aftermath of this collapse, of course, they were investigating why did this happen, how did this happen, and they discovered these metal columns and these fractured uh, iron bolts that should have been replaced, but they found them littered all over uh, the valley beneath because they had snapped and they just littered this valley. And these investigators knew without any question in their mind the culprit uh, for this engineering disaster. Simply put, while they were rebuilding this bridge in steel, they had advanced knowledge of a serious material and structural problem with it, a crisis, if you will, of sorts, but they chose to believe that it was not that serious of an issue. And that something uh, did not necessarily have to be done at that time. They chose to believe that it was not such a time as this, as Mordecai uh, said to, to Esther. And so it was with the rich man in the, in, in the parable uh, in Luke chapter 12 that we heard about uh, a few weeks ago. 
uh, when Jesus uh, spake of a rich man and his disciples, and it says that uh, a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, verses 16 through 21. And he thought in verse 17 within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This I will do, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I will say to myself, self, I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. You're doing good. Self, take thine ease, self, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast uh, provided? So is he that layeth up treasure uh, for himself and is not rich toward God. Now we serve a just God. He's not gonna, he would not call somebody a fool like this for no reason. But we may conclude that this man apparently knew to do right. He had some advanced knowledge of the proper way that he should have prioritized things and he uh, did not listen to it. He did not do uh, what he knew to be right. This man no doubt had at some point heard that tomorrow is not guaranteed. He had been instructed that the priority in his heart and mind was to be given to the things of God, the Word of God. That's where his riches uh, should have been within his heart. That he was to prioritize greatly these eternal things over the temporary things. But evidently, he put little to no belief or faith in that word of truth, and consequently, his actions uh, reflected that, and the result was to his own peril. What a mortifying thing, mortifying, it would be to have God to speak to you in such a way. Thou fool, this night, your life, your soul is required of you. And we see that when we might have advanced knowledge or a revelation of something from the Lord, uh, as the root of that word, advance, might indicate uh, we have potentially an advantage for ourselves and others as long as that word is truth. Uh, Eve, on the other hand, believed a word that was not truth. The devil came to her and said, Yea, hath God said, You shall not surely die. That was a lie. And she grabbed a hold of that. She believed that. And there was, that was of no advantage to her. That was to her destruction. And not only to her death, she surely died, but all mankind uh, for centuries and millennia after that, with the exceptions of uh, Enoch and Elijah and possibly a few others. So, in other words, what I want to say is if, if we have g general, uh, if we have genuine prophetic truth, if I have truth from the Lord, but I do not believe that it is truth. I do not uh, embrace that truth, and I'm not going to act upon that truth. And I'm going to miss out on, on privilege and blessing that God has set before me, and the results could prove quite disastrous. On the other hand, if I have genuine truth, and I do believe uh, in that truth, and I'm fully persuaded that it is truth, then I must embrace that truth, and I must act with faith believing uh, as a result of it. My actions, in other words, will demonstrate my faith for faith Without works, the Bible says in the book of James, is dead. Now we can have advanced knowledge in earthly things, uh, just as with some spiritual things, and if we act lawfully uh, with that knowledge, with proper motives, uh, it can be very beneficial to ourselves as, as well as to others. In the earthly sense, uh, unfortunately, many times people do not act lawfully or with proper motives other than motives for, for, for themselves, 
And certainly when I was thinking about advanced knowledge, one thing that came to my mind, many of you perhaps, would be uh, insider trading, which is illegal now prior to 1929. Uh, to my understanding, uh, it was not. And you'd have people that had a vested interest in some company, or some corporation, perhaps the president of that. And they would, they would have an idea that, that a storm was brewing, that, that things were going to be, there were going to be some hard times for that business, uh, earnings and profits uh, were going to go down. And the value of that publicly traded stock was likely to go down. And so these individuals with this advanced knowledge uh, then selfishly would dump that stock in an effort to preserve their own wealth, but at the expense of others who were going to absorb uh, this precipitous decline. We see more recent examples of that, of course, with Nancy Pelosi and family and, and some politicians when, when markets crashed in uh, March of 2020. And there were some people that miraculously thought to dump these uh, equities just in time. And, and lo and behold, there was a massive drop in, in, in the value uh, of markets. I'm getting just a, a little off uh, track there, but, but we can have some advanced knowledge in a worldly sense. But there's also times when advanced knowledge of this sort can be used properly and with good motives. If a farmer, for example, uh, has some ad advanced knowledge uh, regarding weather uh, conditions for that year, and I'm amazed, we, get, we give a lot of flack to meteorologists, I'm pretty amazed at how close to accurate that they can be uh, a week's time out, even over the past week or two, with some of the weather uh, that we have experienced. But if a farmer has some advanced knowledge, to some extent he can map out and plan his labors in such a way that will benefit not only himself, but also his family, those who uh, do business with, as well as uh, his neighbors. Uh, we see that Paul had some advanced knowledge of the weather uh, from the Lord when he spoke a word of wisdom in Acts chapter 27. And, and he warned the centurion and the ship captain uh, as he was on that ship. And in verse 10 he said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage is going to be with, much, uh, with hurt and with much damage. And we see that in verse number 11, the centurion believed, uh, and the owner of the ship the centurion believed the owner of this ship, however, more uh, than the word of Paul. He did not take this word from Paul as necessarily truth, certainly not as a word uh, from the Lord. But the fact is, Paul did have a true uh, word from the Lord. And truth from God, if we believe it and if we embrace it, can be a blessing to us and can be uh, advantageous uh, to us if we choose uh, to do the right thing. This man, however, ignored the word of the Lord. He did not recognize that it was the word of the Lord. Consequently, he did nothing to avoid this impending crisis of Eurachlodon that was upon them. And we see Joseph. There's a lot of examples in Scripture I can go into. And one of the reasons I struggled with the title of this message, because it almost sounds like I'm going to get off into all sorts of things in prophecy, and I'm really not venturing that far off into it. But in Genesis chapter 41, we see Joseph likewise receiving some advanced knowledge when Pharaoh had this dream that terrified him, and he was searching for people that could help him with interpretation of this dream, and nobody could help him. And he saw in this dream the seven fat kind, the seven withered feeble kind, and likewise with the ears of corn that were full and plenteous, and then those that were uh, withered up with not much uh, upon them. And he found that this man Joseph, through the inspiration of God, was able to interpret his dream, and it had very much to do with the weather coming up in the coming years. Because he was able to instruct Pharaoh, listen Pharaoh, you're going to have seven plenteous years come up, and then you're going to have seven years of terrible dearth and famine. And it, it is going to be a very trying period of time. But I'm giving you this word, 
And uh, let me tell you, there's some things that we can do if you believe this word, and it will be to your benefit. Fortunately for Pharaoh, he believed uh, this word uh, from Joseph. In fact, he set up Joseph as the number two man within his kingdom, the, most, the Egyptian kingdom, the most powerful uh, superpower, if you will, in the world at that time. And Joseph uh, was enabled to enact some measures uh, so that not only was Egypt preserved uh, during this time of famine, but in fact, uh, this nation of Egypt flourished. Uh, Pharaoh was enriched, which he was uh, quite pleased with, and also uh, the extended family of Joseph uh, was spared because that Pharaoh believed this word from the Lord, this word which was truth, and he allowed action uh, to be taken upon this. We see many, many other examples uh, in the scripture of people with advanced knowledge. You may have thought of Noah. As you have been sitting there, uh, he received a revelatory word from the Lord, advanced knowledge. Nobody had ever seen rain in the world up until this point with Noah. But Noah, he believed and he embraced this word from the Lord to the extent that he was working on building this ark in the eyes of many foolishly for a period of 70 years. Why? Because this, this word uh, was true. God had given this true word to Noah and he, and he nudged him uh, just a little bit that, that, that Noah, uh, I'm giving you a word, but, but not only can I do, God didn't need Noah's help. God can do anything that he chooses to do, but he said, listen, Noah, I'm calling you for such a time as this, and you've got some work to do, and this is what I'm calling you to do, and Noah believed that word, and he acted in faith believing based upon what he knew in advance from this word from the Lord. The result was when this crisis came, when the rain started, he and his family were saved. Now, I say when this crisis came is when the rain started. Truthfully, when the crisis came and when Noah needed to recognize that this crisis came, was coming, was as soon as the word was spoken by the Lord unto him. There's a flood coming. It was 70 years prior, but he had to receive this as a life and death situation, and he did so, and he acted. And of course, we have two good examples of what I'm talking about from the scripture text that I read. First of all, Mordecai. Or Mordecai. Potato, potato. <laughs> potato, no potato. I could be making light of something very important. I hope I'm not. Forgive me, Lord. Mordecai was a godly man, though. And he was raising uh, Esther as his own daughter, although, although she was not. She was related to him. And he had gained favor of, of King Ahasuerus in, in previous years because he had saved the king's life. There were some conspirators that were seeking to take down this king uh, so that they uh, themselves, for their own selfish reasons, could prop themselves up and, and assume power. Uh, but, but Mordecai had raised Esther. He had, he had taught her as best he could, as best he knew in the time and period in which he lived, he taught her in the ways of God. And in, in Esther chapter 3, we see that Mordecai had been privy uh, to Haman, who was a descendant of Agag, by the way, which was Interesting enough, Agag, who was spared when the Amalekites were to be wiped out by Saul. And Haman had devised a plan to kill all the Jews, and it had gone so far to the point that Ahasuerus the king had signed this, given his ring, signet, stamp of approval uh, upon this plan, that the Jews were to be exterminated, for lack of better terms, not knowing that his own wife uh, was herself a Jew because she had hidden her identity uh, uh, up to this point to him. And this plan also, interestingly, as I was studying this 
over the past week, and especially since Wednesday night, the reason that, that Haman embarked on this plan, it was a result, Pastor, of Haman's intense anger. Just like with Naaman. We got Haman and Naaman, like Heckle and Jekyll. He had, Haman had some intense anger uh, because Mordecai would not bow down unto him as if to worship him because he as a Jew knew he was to worship the one true God and that was who he was to bow down to. Because he would not bow down to Haman, uh, Haman was filled with rage and he enacted this plan for all of the Jews uh, to be killed. And the Jews of the kingdom, Mordecai found this out and he was doing some, some mourning and fasting. He had no way to contact uh, Esther at this time. She had become the queen to Ahasuerus. And the Jews of the kingdom, likewise, when they had received word, were mourning and fasting. But it was until Queen Esther reached out because he had, she had, or somebody had witnessed Mordecai uh, in the gates, mourning, fasting. And I guarantee you there was prayer uh, going on as well and sent down to speak to him. And Mordecai recognized an opportunity because he knew, okay, I've got a connection here. In fact, the pieces were starting to come together. Revelation was coming unto Mordecai. He had already had, he already knew the word of the Lord, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, that Abraham's seed was, was going to flourish, that his people uh, were going to survive no matter uh, what threats uh, were coming against them. But he recognized that there was a calling from the Lord for such a time as this uh, to Esther. And actually, if I were to step back in Esther, verse uh, number 11, it, it seems as though she was beginning to buckle a little bit under the weight of fear when, when she said in verse 11, the people of the king's providence, uh, provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who's not called, there was one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. This is Esther speaking by an intermediary to, to Mordecai. But I've not been called to come under the king of these 30 days. There was some hesitation, because Mordecai had just called her and said, hey, you're the one, we need you to act, we need you to go and present supplication unto the king. And there was this, this, this little bit of, of hesitation uh, that we see, uh, but we see also that, that uh, Mordecai then proceeded to encourage her in the text that I read, and he said, hey, listen, Esther, uh, this is not the time uh, to do nothing. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. If you hold your peace, if you do nothing, uh, verse number 14, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews uh, from another place. Uh, the rocks are going to cry out, uh, Esther, if we don't worship the Lord. Uh, God's people will be preserved. I believe the word of the Lord. But he is calling you for such a time as this. And if you want to be used of God, he can use you in a great way if you will embrace the word of the Lord right now at this time. And this little bit of encouragement uh, proved to be uh, very powerful uh, to Esther because uh, she went on to say that, that, that she was indeed going to go, go and present this supplication unto the king. And in verse 16, which is not according to the law, and she said, if I perish, I perish. She believed she was going to hold on to this word of the Lord now unto the death. She was embracing uh, this word of the Lord because she knew and she believed that, yes, indeed, God's people will be delivered with me or without me, but he's calling me because sometimes God likes to work through people. He doesn't have to, but there's times when he wants to work through you and through me uh, for an individual, for a healing, for, for a co-worker, uh, for a witness to, to, to a neighbor, to somebody that can be uh, brought to the house of the Lord and saved before it is, is too late. 
And who knows whether you're come to the kingdom uh, for such a time uh, as this. And that's what he asked to Esther. But Mordecai knew, and God knew, indeed, Esther, you are called for such a time. as You're not here, Esther, by accident, and nobody that's in this uh, fellowship this morning is here uh, by an accident today. And when it is time to act, God gives, will give that little prompting from time to time when he chooses to use uh, an individual for his purposes. Because when we embrace the word of God in faith, works will result and will demonstrate that faith because God will use the conduits of men and women for this purpose. We see a similar thing in Jehoiada the priest. He can be read about in chapters 20 through, 22 through 24 of the book of 2 Chronicles. And I mentioned that he was a disciplined and faithful man of God. He was a leader uh, among priests. He knew the word of God very well and better than most. He witnessed the demise of this king, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, and this king whose own mother then sought to have her own grandchildren uh, murdered. Why? Because she wanted to assume this position of power that she craved selfishly, not for the benefit of the kingdom of Judah, not for the benefit of anyone else, uh, certainly not for the benefit of God, for the benefit uh, uh, of herself. And Jehoiada's wife, as I mentioned, took this baby and they, they, they hid him, similar to, to when Herod uh, said, nope, we need to kill all, the, all these children under two at this point in time, or similar uh, to when Moses was saved and he was put in the basket that was, that, that was floating down the river. Uh, Jehoiada and his wife took this baby and they cared uh, for this baby. What they really took and they were caring for was the word of the Lord. This was the seed of David, and David's seed was going to reign upon this throne of Israel, and that was the word of the Lord. Jehoiada knew it, and Jehoiada uh, believed that. And, and, and he, he, they, they, they took this baby, they, they raised it, this child, as best they could, because he said, the king's son shall reign as the Lord hath said of the sons of David, as I read uh, earlier. Jehoiada knew the word of the Lord. And yes, the Lord himself, without any help of Jehoiada, could have protected the lineage of the sons of David without the help of Jehoiada or his wife. But the Lord chose these two vessels uh, within his plan to help preserve uh, this lineage. Jehoiada recognized that there was a crisis uh, that was at hand and that he was the man that God intended to use for such a time as this at that point in time. And he sprung into further action uh, that we see when Joash uh, was seven uh, years old. He went, to, he went to some great lengths uh, to, to protect this child. Uh, he, he, he gathered some, some elders of the Levites to him. In verse 4 he said, this is what you shall do. A third, of the, a third part of you entering on the Sabbath... And priests shall be porters of the doors. A third part of you shall be at the king's house, and a third part at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priests. And they that minister of the Levites, they shall go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And in verse 7, he said, And the Levites shall compass the king round about the king. He's talking about this seven-year-old child. The Levites shall compass him Round about, they shall protect this child. They shall protect the word of the Lord at this point in time, at such a time uh, as this. And whosoever else cometh into the house, he shall be put to death. But be ye with the king, seven years old, when he cometh in and when he goeth out. He was protecting to the nth degree uh, the word of the Lord. And he instructed all, every one of these Levites 
David was involved in this because they had swords in their hand ready at any time, and these swords were the spoil from victories that David uh, had won. And we see uh, that indeed uh, he, he was uh, successful. He preserved this lineage of David. Uh, we go on to see that, that Joash began to reign uh, when he was uh, seven years old. They said, God saved the king, Athaliah. Uh, his, uh, the, king, the new king's uh, grandmother, of course, was wroth, and she cried out, treason, treason, because she thought she was to be in charge, and she wound up uh, receiving justice on her part when she was uh, indeed put to death. Jehoiada's faith was demonstrated through works, and he was in the will of God for such a time as this in his own life. And God confirmed this. You might say that God made full proof of his ministry. And what I want to say today is that as in Mordecai's time, as in Jehoiada's time, God is still giving his people revelatory knowledge and advanced knowledge Uh, In this day and time, he gives it both in the Rima word as well as in uh, the Logos word that provides boundaries uh, outside of which the Rima word will not go. Indeed, the primary place that we today can receive uh, uh, revelatory things uh, from the Lord is in the word of God. We can also see it uh, from a man of God, from the preached uh, word of the Lord uh, as well. But, but, but there are things uh, that we know uh, from the Word of God uh, today, and we are blessed. Uh, we have privilege. We have advantage in our own lives because of these things that we know. Because we know that there is one God, and He created not only earth, but also uh, heaven and hell. And we know that our souls, uh, mine and yours, are going to end up in one of these two places. This is the truth. And we know that except you be born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says you can't even see the kingdom of heaven except you be born again of the water and the Spirit. We know that as, in the, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. And we're seeing uh, this today. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ is coming uh, back again. We know that He is all-powerful. We know that He is all-knowing, that He is omnipresent, that His name is Jesus, that He is victorious. Today, there is a limitless supply of advanced knowledge that's available to us in the Word of God. And it's not of any private interpretation. And yet God does not reveal to us everything. He didn't reveal everything to Paul and He didn't reveal everything to John. But the thing is, what God does reveal to you and to me is limited only by the degree of the openness of my heart. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. In Matthew chapter 13, he was asked that by his disciples. Why do you speak in parables? Verse 11, he said unto them, Because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, at least the things that I have revealed to you and chosen to reveal to you. But to them it is not given. Verse 15, why? For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. In other words, you and I need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God in order that we may receive a greater revelation and understanding from Him because He wants to give that to us. It is His good pleasure to give you and I a greater revelation and understanding of Him and of His Word and of His will and His plan and His purpose in this day and this time. But if I allow sin to reign in my life, there's a problem there. If I allow my heart to become calloused, There's a problem here that God can penetrate, but He won't because He's not going to violate your free will or mine. If I allow sin to be the norm in my life and I close off my ears, 
uh, to the various aspects of holiness because I want to live my own life and in my own way and according to my own guidelines, then there's only one single message that God wants to get across to me, and that is a call uh, to repentance. Why? Because I'm at great risk for all sorts of problems. No, nothing advantageous. All sorts of problems I'm at risk for in the spiritual, in the physical, in the mental and emotional, as well as in other realms if I allow sin to reign uh, within my mortal body. God will withhold greater revelation and advanced knowledge from me if my heart is not fertile ground for His will and His word and His holiness. But if I keep my heart healthy towards Him, brothers and sisters, if, if I lay up treasure in my heart that is rich toward God, contrary to the rich man in the parable of Luke chapter 12, if I lay up treasure in my heart that's rich toward God, if I have faith in and embrace the truth of the Word of God that He has revealed to me, and if at such a time as this, in a certain a serious situation, I reach out with the hand of faith and act as God is calling me to, then it is God's good pleasure to work through me to do great things and to fulfill His Word and reveal to me even more. How does He do this? By His Spirit. Uh, as Pastor read, and I thought this fit perfectly, a scripture last night in Matthew chapter 16. Blessed art thou, verse 17, Simon Barjona. You're blessed. Uh, you're privileged. You have adv great advantage in this revelatory knowledge that you have, Peter. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, uh, which is in heaven. In other words, my spirit, Peter, has given this greater revelation to you of who I am. Shall we stand? If you're in this house today and you've never been born again of the water and the Spirit, if you've never come to an altar and repented of your sins to the Lord, asked Him to, not just, not just open verbally, asked Him to forgive you of your sins, but fully committed within your heart that you were turning uh, away from the world and turning toward God, the paths of God, 24-7, not just at that one point in time. And then saw your need to be baptized in Jesus' name by immersion in water. And we should have some water back here today. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, you've never been born again in the water and the Spirit, then you need to recognize that as a crisis situation uh, uh, right now. That means for you, your such a time as this is right now. It's now, it is today. Mordecai, you see, faced a life and death situation. Is that the right pronunciation, Melissa? You're like me. Praise God. Neither. That could be. Mordecai faced a life and death situation, but he believed in the word of the Lord, we see, and he acted with faith believing, and the result was that God, through him, worked to save his people. Jehoiada faced a life and death situation, but he believed in the word of the Lord, and he acted with faith believing at such a time as this, when he recognized it as such, at the Lord's prompting. And God used Jehoiada to help preserve uh, the lineage of David. And likewise, you, if you have never experienced Acts 2.38 salvation, the entrance into the kingdom, that's just the first step, being born of water, and of the Spirit. You need to know, likewise, that this is a life and death situation. It is a crisis uh, situation. 
And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to us in Luke chapter 12 in that parable of the rich man. Because you don't know when the Lord might say to you, this night your soul shall be required of thee. This is why Brother Arnold, I've heard say, say many times recently, you better be ready uh, to meet the Lord, to go to heaven. You better be ready for his return from your last uh, church service. And as Pastor said last week uh, when he was preaching from the book of Psalms, the devil will fight like anything and everything to stop you from doing something in the now. He will fight like anything to prevent you, to prohibit you, and stop you from acting in such a time uh, as this. And as I was writing this, I was, I was reflecting years ago, Brother Poole, with, on uh, Dr. Sam McGowan. Many of you may remember. He was the superintendent of schools in the Mascuta School District. And he had come to this church a few services and, and I believe the last time he saw him, pastor and another brother in our church uh, at the time, went to Dr. McGowan. They were doing a Bible study with him. And this brother in the church just felt such an unction to urge him, uh, not just toward repentance, but to get baptized in Jesus' name. He'd been baptized under the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost uh, prior to that. But he was receiving this revelation. He saw this revelation. He acknowledged it in this Bible study and, and, and this brother laughed about it when he was telling me the next day he's like I can't believe I talked to Dr. McGowan this way because what he, he goes I compel you he finally said I compel you to get baptized in Jesus name before it's too late and Dr. McGowan said I see my need but I'm not ready just yet maybe, maybe a few weeks down the road uh That'll be the time to do this. Well, let me tell you, it was less than one week later, his body was lowered into the ground after he died, not having been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, the spirit of Almighty God, the name of Jesus. And if you've never been born again of the water and the spirit, such a time as this for you is now. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible uh, uh, says. But if you want to receive that, I call you. This altar is open right now. I call you to this altar. If you've never repented of your sins, please, you're welcome to this altar right now. I invite you to come repent of your sins. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Commit yourself toward a life fully uh, toward the things of God, fully direct, directed toward the, the, the will of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God 24 hours a day seven days a week if you've never been baptized in Jesus name there's an opportunity for you this morning I call you to this altar today if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence it's just the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues I invite you to this altar and we'll pray with you seek the Lord begin to praise the Lord let God fill you with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking uh, with other tongues this morning if you, if you have been uh, had this X238 experience, uh, but it's been a long time since you have spoken with tongues, or maybe you've uh, strayed a little bit off this, this path of, of holiness. I call you to this altar uh, today uh, to get things right with the Lord. If your heart's become a little bit lukewarm, if your heart has become a little bit calloused, today is the day. Such a time as this is now uh, to get things uh, back on track. Please come to this altar uh, this morning if you would. Come to a place of sincere repentance. Pray, pray through to the Holy Ghost. We were praying in tongues earlier.